0: Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.
1: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow.
0: I'm Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde is off today. This is Blue Bay Technology. Let's get after it. Coming up, Intel surging as its long-awaited comeback is underway. We're going to break down the company's earnings with the CEO, Pat Gelsinger. Plus, we're going to have an exclusive interview with the CEO of Buy Now, Pay Later company, Affirm, his outlook on fintech and the payment space. And we'll push ahead to what is going to be another crazy week in tech earnings with Amazon, Apple and Qualcomm all reporting next week. We're going to stick with tech out this way out west. Earnings next week include Apple, Amazon and Qualcomm. It's been an interesting dynamic where the market is so hyped up about AI. But if you look at the trading, I think we're kind of focused on some of the core businesses of these names. Will that be the story next week let's ask jonathan curtis director of portfolio management for franklin equity overseeing 9.5 billion dollars in assets under management what do you make of that jonathan investors love ai but this week it seems like they traded on the on the fundamentals the core business
2: yeah well so certainly there's a lot of excitement and appropriately so around ai but we are in this the stage of this opportunity Uh, that we like to call the experimentation phase. Companies are learning about how to use generative AI, they've been reorienting, reorienting their product roadmaps, to take advantage of, of AI. They're starting to figure out what their customers are going to be willing to pay for some of these capabilities. But we're not really in the, the scale it stage. We think that's going to come here in the next two to three, maybe four quarters. And the biggest, most important thing to be watching there is what platforms like Microsoft or Adobe or other companies that have many hundreds of millions of users can do when they start putting these AI capabilities in their products where hundreds of millions of knowledge workers and media creators operate every single day. We're quite excited about what that means and how that will put pressure on the underlying infrastructure and semiconductor layer and keep the growth going for a lot of these companies.
0: So we do this every quarter now, track the number of times AI as a phrase or word is mentioned on an earnings call. Do you go through the transcript and say, okay, AI number one, AI number two? I mean, uh, seriously, how much does that impact your investment? We did do that,
2: yeah. So this past past earnings cycle, not this current one because we're not completely through it, we did go through and count how many references there were to, to artificial intelligence. And then we compared it to references to things like mobile back around the launch of the iPhone because we wanted to get a sense for how quickly this was dispersing through uh, the economy relative to other big cycles that we've seen in the past. And but Jonathan, the, the,
0: why? Why, Jonathan? They're just words. What do they tell no, you no, about? No, they're,
2: they're not just words, they're, they're intentionality. And, and it, what's important okay. about that intentionality is it tells you how much the other sectors outside of the economy, outside of tech, are gearing up and getting curious about this opportunity and ultimately what the big spending's gonna come. And what's fascinating about the analysis we did 90 days ago was that we saw much more dispersion for artificial intelligence than we did for mobile back at the start of the iPhone cycle, the iPhone opportunity. So that gives us a little bit of confidence that this could be even bigger than other big cycles we've seen in the past, like mobile.
0: Jonathan, I want to talk about the semiconductor names. We're going to be speaking to Pat Gelsinger in about five minutes' time, the CEO of Intel. You do not hold Intel, but I believe you do hold NVIDIA and AMD. Explain that thesis to me and why they are the winners in, in AI.
2: Yeah, so certainly Intel is an amazing company. There are funds within Franklin that, that own Intel. Um, they are in the, in the midst of a, of a, a challenging transformation um and they're a little too pc centric for for our growth needs um and then they're in a heavy investment stage right now so we're watching intel closely we like nvidia because they're highly aligned with the ai opportunity and have an incredible moat there we like amd because they are a share gainer in the server space at the expense of intel we also like tsmc which is one of uh, intel's emerging competitors in the fabrication of chips and amd and TSMC and NVIDIA and TSMC together are, are really helping set the next stage of growth in the, uh, the semiconductor space. And Intel is just playing catch up, quite frankly, and is a little too PC centric for our, our interests.
0: PC centric the other area we, we want to talk about is cloud and we started this conversation Jonathan by pointing out that a lot of the trading this week was done on core legacy businesses Abigail mentioned Microsoft where investors looked at the performance of the cloud business from a top-line growth perspective and weren't as happy uh, what do you see there
2: Well, encouragingly, we are starting to see some of that deceleration that we've been seeing in cloud in this post-COVID era starting to calm down a bit. And in fact, um, the deceleration that Microsoft witnessed in its cloud business slowed a bit. And encouragingly, we're starting to see the real positive impacts from the AI AI experimentation phase that we're in right now, impacting the cloud operators like Microsoft, like Google. So we think that we are getting through the optimization phase post-COVID, We are getting into easier comps there. And now we're starting to see AI become a material contributor to these cloud businesses. So we think in our broader digital transformation thesis, AI is still misunderstood by investors. They don't understand how profound the impacts of this is going to be. And then the cloud opportunity is gonna be a big uh, uh, participant along with AI, but also as digital transformation continues. And we're starting to see that stabilization. So we're quite encouraged uh, by both what we're seeing in AI and in cloud.
0: All right, Jonathan Curtis, Franklin Equity Group, Director of Portfolio Strategy. Just such a wide-ranging conversation. And as we discuss, the next big conversation is going to be about the chip sector. Thank you very much. Coming up, stay tuned because we will sit down with the CEO of Intel, Pat Gelsinger. The market really liked what it had to hear about the quarter just gone and the outlook for the current quarter. But there are long-term questions here about Intel returning to a position of leadership when it comes to the cutting edge of chip manufacturing, chip making technology. And also, what is the future of this company in the field of AI? Pat Gelsinger, Intel CEO, coming up next here here in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology.
3: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator?
0: I want to welcome our global Bloomberg TV and radio audiences. Intel shares are jumping, with investors buying into signs that the chipmaker's long-awaited comeback is underway. Intel is forecasting sales in the current quarter of $13.9 billion, ahead of expectations. The company also notched a surprise profit of $0.13 a share in the quarter just gone as a slump in demand for personal computers appears to be coming to an end. It's not all good news. Server demand isn't recovering as quickly. The company's still a little bit far from its heyday, where margins were at 60%, sales were nearer to $20 billion, even so. Joining us now, Intel's CEO, Pat Gelsinger. You know, Pat, this is the second consecutive quarter where investors have cheered the earnings results. Shares are up. And I think before 2023, 10 out of the 11 earnings prints that you had, shares fell. Is this job done for you in the turnaround at Intel?
4: (laughs) Well, Ed, we have a long way to go yet. Uh, but uh, boy, having two good beat and Ray quarters in a row, you know, a uh, super positive and really, you know, I think, indicative of that turning point uh, for the uh, company. But we still have a lot of work to do yet. You know, as we said, our client business is now, you know, healthy footing. You know, we've returned market share to where it traditionally was a strong roadmap. You know, the market's recovering, inventory levels are good. You know, data center, we still have work to do. But boy, you know, two quarters in a row where we did a bit. Better than we expected, you know. But we still have challenges in AI, you know, and many of our really good products are only coming to market over the next uh, year. You know, networking still a lot of inventory to work through, and our foundry business is still just a seedling, just starting to show some green shoots. So I'll say, boy, far from finished, but it is nice bouncing off the bottom a bit and feeling that momentum in the market response. Pat, why do you have the confidence
0: to kind of call the end of the, the PC slump and, and also at the same time state that the server recovery is delayed to the end of the year?
4: Yeah, and the PC side, you know, inventory levels are now healthy, right? You know, everything that we've seen, and a lot of the you know, issues that we worked through Q4, Q1, and Q2 were over inventory levels by the OEMs and the channel. And now everything is healthy, Our roadmap is very good. We've gained share multiple times uh, in a row. I think we're now at five out of six quarters where we've uh, gained market share. So I just say in the PC business, healthy. Our position is good. And we're looking forward to the AI PC, and with our launch of our next generation product, Meteor Lake, uh, later this year, you know, we believe that it ushers in the AI PC generation. And I've compared that to like Centrino and Wi-Fi, you know, two decades ago, a major new use case for why the PC is the best platform. So we're quite excited about that. On the data center side, you know, we still saw that you know the inventory levels still persist. You know, China was weaker than expected their recovery is going slower. And you know cyclically, we see the shift toward AI, You know these big training machines, every cloud vendor is shifting their dollars to more focus on that. So those three things are leading to a bit longer recovery cycle on the data center. But like I said, we performed a bit better than we thought on the data center in Q1 and Q2. So we're feeling like our momentum and execution is rebuilding despite some of those headwinds that still persist in that area. For
0: our global TV and radio audience here at Bloomberg, we're speaking to Pat Gelsinger, the Intel CEO. Pat, you're forecasting gross margin of 43% in the current period, but but it's a long way from that 60% gross margin level. You know, Wall Street used to look at Intel and say 60%. You know, they would cheer you as a leader in that space. Can you just explain to our global audience the timeline and path to getting back to profit at that level?
4: Yeah, and we're working our way back in margins, and obviously a nice beat in Q2 on margins, and we forecast Q3 a bit better and Q4 a bit better. You know, and part of it is the cyclicality of the semiconductor industry is brutal on margins, and when we you know had an oversupply situation, inventory, you know, that just depresses margins because you know the factories cost the same whether they're full or whether they're empty. So you end up with these uh, charges that you know burden the price points and uh, depressed margins we also realize that our own product execution has weakened our product position you know which doesn't have asps as strong as well so that's another factor and the last factor here is you know the plan that uh, my CFO Dave and I have laid out is an expensive plan. We are making aggressive investments to build the capacity to get back to leadership, and thus we're moving through nodes very rapidly. We said five nodes in four years, so that causes us to have a lot of undepreciated you know capacity that we're working through quite aggressively. Also, building up a bit more capacity for our foundry initiatives. So all of those factors depressed margins you know to historically low levels in the first part of the year, and we're just seeing ourselves now work. Working to build back to margin levels. But we're still very confident that as we uh, build our foundry business, get back to leadership and process and products, you know, that those kind of margins, that's exactly what uh, Dave and I aspire to, to the future. And we feel like Q2 was a good marker, you know, that yes, we're building momentum to get back there.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Bloomberg Television and Radio Worldwide. We're joined by Pat Gelsinger, Intel CEO. You described the foundry business as a seedling, but every time you and I have spoken, you've hinted that there is a big customer waiting in the wings to give life to that business. What what can you tell us about that, Pat?
4: Yeah, and we're we're having good momentum. And as I said on the uh, earnings call uh, yesterday, we have two big customers in particular that we made very good progress over the last uh, uh, quarter for our foundry uh, business. We did have one, I'll say, confirmatory, not as big a, a customer, but the Ericsson announcement, their commitment to 18A and our next generation work, you know, with them that we announced this quarter. So I'll say overall, we're seeing good momentum and a really strong pipeline of customers, and we hope to make, you know meaningful announcements uh, later this year on that. We also pointed out on our earnings call that now we're seeing a lot of interest in our packaging technology. So it isn't just wafer manufacturing, it's also package, assembly, and tests. And Intel has long-term been a leader in packaging technologies. And because of key areas like high-performance computing and AI, there's tremendous interest in these advanced packaging technologies. And we're finding a lot of customer interest in that anchor- Mental area of the Foundry business as well. So overall, you know, and the numbers were good for us in Q2 for Foundry, great pipeline of activities, great progress on a couple of these most major opportunities. So I'm feeling good, like we're starting to really see that momentum build in this new business area for Intel, our Intel Foundry services.
0: If we think about what a, a potential customer might be, you know, at the scale of Apple or Google or NVIDIA, what is it that they want from you? What is it do you think that you can provide them?
4: Yeah, you know, when I view it, you know, we have to go through four stages. You know, one is, are my transistors good? You know, can they build good products using Intel? Second is, do I have the design tools, you know, the cadence and synopsis EDAs and the IP libraries? Have we gotten all of those basics done so that they can design on us? You know, then third, you know, do we have good terms and conditions? Are they better off coming to me versus, you know, TSMC or Samsung as an alternative? And then finally, are we customer oriented? Can they really have the support because my factory becomes their factory? You know, so we have to work through all four of those stages before they're ready to commit major businesses to us and that's why it takes a while You know, they got to do designs and tests and pilots and you know work through the financials and you know this isn't a mature business area for us but I'll just say we're making great progress and in particular you know the two most significant opportunities it was a really good quarter and I'm feeling very optimistic that yes we'll bring them across the line and start to really accomplish what we've laid out you know with our you know reshoring and building the Western founder. We also had yes. great success with both the EU and the US Chips Act this last quarter, which are affirming the strong support you know, of the Western governments on this uh, strategy. It's the right strategy at the right time. We're making good progress a big part of your smart capital approach, we have to talk
0: about AI. You see a world in which the PC plays a role for localized running of LLMs. But what are the use cases that you see, Pat? The applications where a PC with AI-specific chips is relevant?
4: Yeah, and it, you know, to some degree, they're numerous. Ed. you know, let's just give one example. You know, in the future, my word processor, you know, I'm going to hit a button and say, "Give me a legal brief that describes this," and it's going to get locally generated. You know, my video conferencing, my Zine, my Teams or Zooms, I'm going to say, you know, give me you know real-time translation across multiple languages, you know, for this uh, yes. meeting, and I'm going to have that in real time on my PC. You know, my games, you know, for my, you know, all of that. It's going to become synthetically generated worlds locally on my PC in real time. You know, so we see it across creator, or across productivity. You know, and as I've said, this is sort of like a Wi-Fi moment you know, for the uh, PC of the future. And that begins with our Meteor Lake launch in uh, the second half of this year.
0: Pat, quickly, a $1 billion pipeline for AI products through 2024. Just give me a sense of the pace at which that pipeline is growing now.
4: Yeah, we saw, we had a super uh, exciting quarter. As I said, we 6X that pipeline in Q2, so we saw a huge uptick on that. You know, and I've deployed a lot more sales resources, software resources, you know, to jump on those opportunities uh, worldwide. You know, when we have our Gaudi2 chip that is, you know, now in volume. You know, we've just seen the first wafers on the next generation Gaudi3, which will be our 2024, you know, product, and then we have our 25 and 26 products underway. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of momentum there and the world is looking for a great alternative, an open alternative, a more cost-effective alternative. And Intel is a trusted supplier. We think this is a great, you know, area for us to put a lot of energy into. And we're seeing the response from the marketplace now. Intel
0: CEO Pat Gelsinger, we appreciate your time here on Bloomberg TV and radio. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Ed.
0: Time for talking tech. First up, KLA reported strong earnings for the current period. It signals that the chip industry may be nearing a recovery. Shares increased around 4.5% in the session, but it's unclear how long this upswing will last. Of course, it's a sign that chip makers are ready to spend on new equipment. Plus, a burning ship near the Netherlands has almost 500 electric cars on board. The cause of the blaze still unknown, but the Coast Guard has denied reports that the fire broke out in the section of the carrier where the electric cars were stored and finally china has asked its largest tech companies to provide case studies of their most successful startup investments the ask is the sign authorities are ready to grant them broader leeway after a crackdown that brought them to a virtual halt two years ago all right coming up threads the twitter-like app might help bring the center of internet culture back to meta we'll take a look at the new app and its potential impact this is bloomberg technology
3: Easier said. Done.
0: Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. This week, we've mentioned the idea of everything apps, not only for X, the company formerly known as Twitter, but that conversation now going to TikTok as well. Just 24 hours ago, we spoke to Meta CFO Susan Lee about the concept of everything apps and if Meta would consider itself heading in that direction. Here's what she had to say
5: we're really invested in the opportunities that we have ahead of us across our family of apps right now including threads which is the newest standalone app in our portfolio and then there's just a lot that we can do to make the experiences across our family of apps richer and more engaging with the investments that we've made already in ai and especially recommending content that you don't already follow and we know that that's brought richer content experiences to people is growing engagement across the apps and we'll release um you know, we'll be releasing features over the course of the next years, but we're really excited about what we think that this is going to bring to bear for the consumer experience and, of course, also eventually for businesses to connect with consumers across the family of apps, too.
0: The Everything app. Let's break it down with Bloomberg's Alex Barinka, who covers the social platforms for us, and Rachel Tipograph, CEO and founder of MicMac, a global e-commerce enablement and analytics platform for multi-channel brands. First of all, Rachel, give me your definition, your definition of an everything app.
6: An everything app is a place where I'm going to spend the majority of my time to connect with my friends and family, be inspired, potentially do work, start a business and transact.
0: So the news peg this week is X, the everything app. It's officially happened. Twitter logo's gone. The bluebird's gone. We have an X. But... TikTok and Meta are still part of this conversation. Do you realistically see a world in which we see all three move towards an everything app?
6: I think for everything apps to work, we have to let go of the notion of walled gardens. Because to be everything, you need to integrate with the infrastructure of society. So if you wanna drive commerce, you need to integrate with the biggest players in commerce. Amazon, Target, Walmart, payments like PayPal, If you want to integrate into work, you got to integrate into Salesforce, and Slack, and Oracle, and SAP. The approach that the walled garden apps have taken is, hey, we want to do everything ourselves. That typically doesn't work out. So for everything apps to come to life, there really needs to be a partner ecosystem that allows them to flourish in everyday life.
0: So I want to go back to the meta part of this equation. Alex Barinka, you've written a story published on Bloomberg this morning. Meta has a rare opportunity to seize momentum with threads. And I know you were watching the interview with Susan Lee really closely. They're playing down the the, the sort of near-term monetization of threads. But is that the app that represents an opportunity for Meta to, to broaden itself out a bit?
5: And the reason I made that argument um, is because it's not just Twitter or the app formerly known as Twitter X. uh, It's not just X that is kind of the biggest competition here for Meta, even if, as CFO Susan Lee says, the Everything app isn't their kind of current focus. It's actually TikTok. Meta used to be kind of the the kingmaker of Internet culture. Instagram used to really rule the zeitgeist uh, and things that happened online happened there first. Right now, TikTok really really has that position. And that's the argument I kind of laid out, Ed, in that piece, is Meta has a rare opportunity here, not to kill Twitter, but to actually bring kind of the center of internet culture back to Meta, because TikTok, while that is the place right now, TikTok's a video platform. Making videos is a lot harder than posting text online, so there could be this moment of opportunity. And Ed, when you and Caroline chatted to Susan Lee yesterday, I was really struck when you asked her about kind of how you bring that zeitgeist back. Went straight to talking about product updates and changes to features, uh, which is a little bit different than I know that TikTok thinks of itself. They talk about culture and bringing creators and uh, you know music and fashion, and it's a little bit of a different flavor. But I think it's an important distinction as they continue to figure out what Threads uh, fits, how Threads fits into the Meta universe.
0: I like the historic dynamic, which is the, you know, it's what people say, right? When something's trending on TikTok, your parent might see it on Reels or Instagram six weeks later. So with that in mind, Rachel, you know, Alex tried to outline Meta's position, which is that they want to seize the cultural moment. Do you see that happening or do you think TikTok leads in that respect?
6: So first to, to debunk the myth, There are plenty of Gen X and boomers on TikTok. Nearly 50% of their users are not millennials and not Gen Z. So culture is happening there, but culture is now multi-generational. In terms of TikTok, yes, it is taking over search, which I think is a key indicator that culture is moving there. When it comes to meta, there is a huge difference. Meta is an identity service. And because it's an identity service, It has an enormous amount of data to build a really, really robust advertising business on top of and move people down the path to purchase. TikTok has stayed more upper funnel, has focused on consumer engagement. They do a great job of that. And now they are trying to figure out, hey, can we actually steal market share from Meta by monetizing the data that we have in the platform? How they both use the data and how they've been building advertising businesses and commerce businesses on top of each other have differed because of the nature of the apps. But Meta being a center for culture, they have yet to demonstrate that they have the ability to do that again.
0: All right. Our thanks to Rachel Tipograph and our own Alex Barinka. We probably could do a full hour on the media, social media landscape right now. We will have both of you back. Thank you very much. Affirm, the popular buy-now-pay-later service, has gained traction in recent years as inflationary pressures weigh on consumer purchasing power. With more than 16 million active customers and more than 245,000 merchants, the company is a marker for tracking consumer trends across various sectors. Now, it's expanding its reach in the travel space by partnering with airline Cathay Pacific. Very happy to welcome Max Lefchin to the show, CEO of a firm and my good friend Bloomberg's Shanali Bassick.
7: Thank you, Ed, and thank you, Max, for joining us. When you took a look at this deal that you just cut with Cathay Pacific, this idea that more airlines, more travel is drawing buy now, pay later options. You know, it's very expensive to travel right now. How much kind of uh, heat is there in the consumer wallet to be traveling with th- these kinds of prices given kind of strains on their wallet right now?
8: But I think we're still recovering from COVID and the need to get out of the house to see the world is intense and prices are absolutely high. We we are seeing very expensive travel and yet we're almost at the peak of 2019, right before the pandemic. And so part of a reason, part of the reason we're seeing so much success, so much pickup in the travel industry is the airlines cannot do enough to bring all these people chance to travel, but it is expensive. And so being able to afford it and with a firm without late fees without gimmicks without tricks is a really powerful sales pitch. And so well, here's
7: we're, a question to I have about the airlines as well, because if you think about it, the credit card companies just reported earnings. They're extending loans like crazy. The consumer looks a little stretched when you look at how much debt they've taken out. There's a question about whether they'll hit a cliff at the end of this year. So how much can they really buy now, pay later, even more to, to fund things that they want to do, go out and buy luxury goods and to take an airplane to, to Europe?
8: I think fundamentally consumers will borrow to meet their goals and my job is to provide a viable, transparent and fundamentally better alternative to credit cards. If you see the growth of buy not pay later, you can see that we are making a real dent in taking over more and more of the consumer spend. We are absolutely not adding to it. In terms of incremental debt that is unsustainable as a firm. Other players may do other things, but our fundamental design criteria is if we don't believe you can pay us back, we will not lend you money. That is what's enshrined in our design notion of no late fees, no gimmicks, no tricks. We will not benefit if you cannot pay us back. Therefore, we'll only lend if you can.
0: Uh, Max, I understand the technological and cash flow advantage of buy now, pay later. My question is, what is the limit in use cases? So you know, an airline ticket can cost you a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars. I, I wonder what the point is where a firm says, you know what, we, we, we cannot do this, be it you know, another luxury item or another product category.
8: So what are the advantages of buying to the consumer is that and in particular with a firm again we evaluate every transaction separately. So at every time when you choose to use a firm, there is a chance we will tell you, we think you are overextending yourself. It is not financially healthy for you to make this transaction. Please, either make a larger down payment, don't transact, find something cheaper. And so you will, or someone will hear that every minute of the day today and, and on and on, we underwrite every single transaction. That's why our credit results have been as strong as they have been. That is part of the design and that's why Buy Now, Pay Later and Affirm in particular is better than credit cards.
0: Max, 24 hours ago we had Zach Perret, uh, the Plaid CEO on the show, and he talked about using AI in assessing creditworthiness and lending. W- I wondered if you could explain to our audience what Affirm is doing with AI in its, in its decisions on Buy Now, Pay Later.
8: I'll nerd out for a couple of seconds because I think it's it's important. So AI is now this overused umbrella term that means everything to everybody. So there's a couple of different flavors of machine intelligence, let's call it something neutral. There's machine learning, which is has been around for quite some time, and it is statistical learning, all sorts of different terms, but what it means is using statistical analysis and more sophisticated mathematical techniques to assess ability to repay by looking at past trends and data and we use that and have been using it since inception that's where a lot of our underwriting advantage comes from the other more currently exciting excitable part of machine intelligence is generative ai things like dolly and open ai and chatbots. we do not use that to assess your credits because we don't think the technology is mature enough and frankly it wasn't built for that we do use it for exciting things like developer productivity Um, making more data available internally faster through chat interfaces. So there's lots and lots to gain from various flavors of machine intelligence, but each tool is for a different job and we've been using it since the day we started the company. You
7: know, Max, you think about technology, you think about what the PayPal mafia has done when it comes to payments online, and you have Elon Musk trying to expand on this everything app. What role is social media going to be playing in payments ultimately, and how long will it take to get there?
8: I think social media has already emerged as kind of the next shopping format. We're all sort of swiping up on Instagram and TikTok and, and on and on. When we see a beautiful thing worn by a beautiful person. Sometimes we want to buy it. I think, again, not to sort of with my own horn too much, a firm brings certainty and sense of control and lack of gimmicks and these into a situation that is sped up. When you're tapping to buy something on your social media environment, you're not thinking very hard about what financial tool you're gonna use, but you do want that peace of mind. So picking a firm will help you, will keep you protected. We are seeing a huge percentage of interaction with computers and with phones in particular shift to these bite-sized social media modalities and that's just a new normal.
7: Talk to us about competition, this idea of Apple Pay Later. You are also partnered with large tech companies yourself, like Amazon, but Apple's move into the buy now, pay later space. How much of an impact could that have on you in the future?
8: You know, for the moment, we're all taking share from credit cards and perhaps even more fundamentally, cash. The online e-commerce in the US alone is nearing a trillion, if I remember correctly. Offline is four times that size. The penetration into that entire thing is sub 1% if you take the the totality and sub 5% if you look at just e-commerce. And so for the moment, most buy now, pay later players are not exactly bumping into each other in the hallways trying to convince that last consumer. There's lots and lots and lots of greenfield before competition matters more than just converting folks from credit cards onto a firm. And we're, we're making pretty good progress there.
0: Max, really quick, I, I do want you to reflect again on your PayPal days and, and the idea of turning X into a, a place of transactional e-commerce. Do you see it as a reality?
8: You know, don't ever put anything past Elon. I think uh, I think he, he has proven time and time again that uh, he can achieve crazy things. I do think that the Everything app worked really well in a place and a time in a different country. I don't think U.S. consumer is looking for a... Version of a ten cent rock.
0: All right. Our thanks to a firm CEO, Max Levchin, alongside, of course, Bloomberg, Schnali, Bassak. Happy Friday to you both. Right back here in SF, California's largest utility, PG and E, says it's more prepared than ever for the threat of wildfires. The company spent five years modernizing its infrastructure in America's most populous state. It's now turning to AI to predict and control wildfire impact. Take a listen to my exclusive interview with PG&E CEO, Paddy Poppy.
9: You know, Ed, I think you'd be quite impressed if you could see the wildfire science that underpins the activation of the technology. The hardware is activated by the software. We have the data system. We've actually divided up our entire service area, two-thirds of the state of California, into two-kilometer polygons, we call them. And we have readings because of our weather stations, our high-definition cameras that are using artificial intelligence to know the difference between fog and smoke, that are identifying the, uh, the fuel moisture levels, the humidity, the wind speed the temperatures, the grass levels, any open maintenance tags in that two-kilometer block, any tree that's within strike distance of the line in that two-kilometer block, and we have technology then that we can activate when the conditions are such that a catastrophic wildfire is possible.
0: So we're talking about spread modeling, essentially, trying to predict the, the path that a fire would take if it was occur,
9: exactly so we use the spread modeling with this artificial intelligence uh... engine to then activate our hardware on any given day of the year we have a operation center that's monitor- monitoring conditions twenty four hours a day seven days a week three hundred sixty five days a year and they monitor those real-time indicators and then use that a i model to predict risk and then we activate our hardening system We've put in layers of protection, including our 10,000-mile undergrounding plan, which is sort of old-school construction, but it works. It's very risk-mitigating combined with our technology platform to be prepared every single day to prevent the next catastrophic wildfire. Do
0: you have to make further investment? I mean, you talked about it being old-school, putting putting the cabling underground, but but that's how it's worked in the past, right? Above-ground cables through a number of factors contributing to, to the cause of a fire. Where else do you have to invest and, and continue to grow your, your tech play?
9: Yeah, well, the tech play in undergrounding is actually quite exciting. We use those models and all of that AI to determine what's the next best mile to bury. We get lots of calls; people want us to bury the lines. So a lot of people would like you us to, to bury str- their lines. Yes, be strategic about it. Yes, but we have to use a, a risk that risk modeling to determine the best miles, and then we're deploying all sorts of new technology to make it way less old school. We um, actually demo at a, an investor event in San Ramon a couple, maybe a month or so ago uh, what we call at-grade undergrounding utilizing a new steel form with a polymer uh, insert with con- uh, conduit where we run the conductor and can bury the, the lines much less deeply right at surface and it's got, it takes a diamond cutter to cut through this. So there's infrastructure technology that we're deploying and of course we're deploying all sorts of tools to make sure that every minute we spend doing work we're doing it in a smarter way
0: that was pg and e ceo patty poppy the main takeaway wildfire risk from equipment 94 percent less likely now than in 2017 because of that tech investment check out the full interview on bloomberg.com Time now for what's going viral. Do you remember a scare last year when a man in possession of ammunition slipped through a CLEAR screening line at Reagan National Airport. Well, that incident was a catalyst to a government pro that uncovered flaws in CLEAR's practices, at times capturing blurry or obscured images of travellers. CLEAR responded to Bloomberg in a statement saying, quote, it is deeply disappointing to us that images were shared with the federal government as part of its review. We share TSA's unwavering commitment to aviation security and have proven ourselves a capable and trusted partner for more more than 13 years one that everyone's talking about on social media now that does it for this edition of bloomberg technology happy friday have a good weekend but don't forget you can recap everything from today's episode in the podcast wherever you get your podcast apple spotify iheart and of course on the bloomberg platforms big earnings season next week this is bloomberg technology